Good singing. Glad that you could take that hymn book and do that. May 7th is our ladies' banquet, our mother-daughter's banquet, I believe, at noon. And uh, we call it ladies' banquet because you don't have to be a mother or a daughter to be involved in that. All you have to do is just be there. We'd be glad to have you. I'll give you more information about that later on um, this evening. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to the book of Ezra. Ezra. You know, disappointingly, I, I looked in my notes, and I've only preached three messages out of the book of Ezra in the 30 years that I've been in the ministry. And probably because most people, when they go to the book of Ezra, or many times the book of Ezra is preached from when there is a building program taking place. Ezra, Ezra was... Uh, given the, the benefit, the, the privilege of being able to help lead God's people in rebuilding a temple. And I have never built a building. I've never built a church building. Um, the only thing I did, I started, I started a fellowship hall there in Alabama after about 20 years of being the pastor there and, and uh, maybe 21. And then... Um, I left it to my brother to finish, so he had all the fun. And I'm just saying, I, I, I do think, though, out of this chat, this book, there's some things that probably need to be mentioned. Now, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi are contemporaries with Ezra. And Haggai, when you read about him, he's not talking about building the temple as much as he's telling them, you know, you're spending all your time building your own home. You're, you're taking and you're building your houses when really the house of God should be built. And I would say today, if you spend all of your time investing in your life and what you have on this earth and you don't invest in eternity and the church of the living God, in eternity you'll have regrets that you didn't make a wiser choice. And then you read about Malachi. Malachi takes issue with the leadership of the country, the spiritual leadership, the priests if you would. And I think it could be easily said today, one of the reasons that maybe God's church is not growing the way it should is because of the leadership that we have in the country. Today, I think we've decided it's better to produce CEOs and administrators for the church than it is to produce men of God that can preach the Bible with power. And then the book of Zechariah, Zechariah just puts all the emphasis on the Messiah. He talks about the one that's uh, going to have wounds and the one that's going to bring forth um, uh, a fountain. And, and he talks about that branch through there. And, and he just puts the attention back on the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, if we ever want to build any kind of church or ministry for the Lord, he'll have to be the centerpiece of that thing. He can't be an afterthought. And so in saying all of that, Judah has gone into captivity, been there 70 years, and the house is destroyed. When I look at the pictures, and it's hard for me to do that, of people's homes and all the things that are coming out of Ukraine, how that their lives have been destroyed in just a moment of time. Can you imagine if those remain that way for 70 years? That's what you have in Jerusalem. You have a temple that Solomon built that's now been destroyed and it's just laying in ruin. And God does something very unique. If you look there in Ezra chapter 1, he stirs up the spirit of the king of Persia. Verse 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia 
that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem which is in Judah and build the house of the Lord God of Israel which is in Jerusalem. He is the God. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver, with gold, and with goods and beasts. Now that's what we do here. The people that were staying behind supplied the need for those that were going to build. We have sent many missionary families out of our church, and I'm so glad that God didn't call all of us to go, but he has called us to help send them. And so the people that remained behind were called on to send or to supply the need for those going before. But I just think it's remarkable that God stirred up the heart of the king that was really the ruler of much of the earth, the Medes and the Persians, he, he stirred up the heart of Cyrus. Listen, if God can stir up the heart of Cyrus, he can stir up the heart of anybody he wants to. Amen. So Cyrus' heart is stirred. And because of that, because of that, he says, I'm going to make a decree to rebuild this house. This house doesn't need to stay in a broken down, ruined condition anymore. Are you listening? There are a lot of houses in life, maybe not actual buildings. I'm not talking about the street that you live on. There are a lot of houses that are broken down and have been for a long time. And what I mean by that, there are marriages in this world where the relationship has soured and broken down and that relationship is no longer what it was. It's a broken marriage. There are people that have broken minds and they've been in that condition for a long time. Maybe it's because of depression, because of some great thing that came into their life. And, and I know people don't believe that some of those things are real, but I would just tell you that PTSD and other things I believe are very real. And their minds remain broken because of an event that took place in their life. There are many hearts that are broken in a state of disrepair, a bitterness that has been there for a long time, something that has yet to be corrected, and that heart has stayed broken and that mind has stayed broken. There are some people, their finances are just totally broken. The, the amount of money they owe, the amount of things that needed to be taken care of, the credit cards that they have, they have amassed such a debt that they are living really in a very broken condition. There are people because of sin because they couldn't say no to something when they were young or they couldn't say no to something they had once turned their back on. They have now gotten into a position that that sin, like a chain, has wrapped itself around their life and brick by brick, piece by piece, has destroyed and tore their life all apart. And so this morning, what I want to preach a little bit about is rebuilding the house. And I'm not talking about a building program at Tabernacle Baptist Church. I'm talking about rebuilding a marriage and rebuilding a mind and rebuilding a heart, rebuilding and finances, I'm going to say this, if God can stir up the heart of a king that's not born again and get him to move to get God's people to move, I'm telling you, God knows how to rebuild. The sad thing is that some people have lived in such that state for so long that they've just grown accustomed to it. They're used to it. It's like dragging a body behind you that is decomposed 
and you've got that smell on you. I can still remember. We, we had a great dog. I believe, it, I believe it was Jasper. I don't think it was Stonewall. We had a dog that went across the creek one day and found an armadillo that had been dead. And that, that dog rolled on that armadillo. He would do that. He would roll over a bone. He'd fall over on his back. I guess he thought he had to kill the bone, kill the rock, kill whatever was out there. And he rolled all over that armadillo. Now, I don't know what you, you've ever experienced that, but if, if you ever have a pet that rolls on a dead armadillo, you won't have to ask anybody what that smells like. We could smell him outside the house. We could smell him everywhere. It was awful. And he just didn't mind. He didn't care. He'd eat his food. Listen, if I smelled like that and tried to eat my food, I'd, it'd come right back up. <laughs> couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't en- I couldn't enjoy sitting. Listen, if, if sitting in the sun and soaking up the rays, if I smelled like that, I, could, I couldn't do it. I guess he just got used to it. We didn't. I went out and got, somebody told me that tomato paste or tomatoes or, or, or tomato sauce would get all that stuff off. So I went out and bought just bottles and bottles of ketchup and I poured it all over that dog. He said, what'd you end up with? A pink dog that smelled real bad. That's what we had. It just took time. But he was used to it. And you know what? Some of you are used to it. You're used to your marriage being where it is. You're used to your finances being where they are. You're used to the condition of your mind and your heart never changing. You just got used to it. It's in ruin. And there's nothing that can be done about it. Well, I'm here today to stand up on both feet and shout loud as I can. God can do something about that if you'll give him that opportunity. And once you look with me in chapter 3, there's some things that are going to be required if you're going to see that thing rebuild. First thing I'd have you look at there in verse number 1, the Bible says this, chapter 3, 1, the Bible says, And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. That word there, together, there was an agreement that they came to. We are going to gather ourselves together in Jerusalem, some almost 50,000 people. We're going to gather ourselves together. We're going to agree together that we are going to rebuild this house. We're going to make an agreement in that, in that area. When I think about that, I think about how that the Bible stresses being together as a church. And, uh, you know, we believe, we believe, and I know you're here this morning. I hope you come back to tonight. I hope you come back on Wednesday. I hope you make every service of the revival meeting. I hope that you're one of those people that they say every time the doors are open, they're right there. The Bible's very clear. The church assembled. In fact, can I read it to you? They were together at Pentecost praying. They were together in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. You know what happened? They saw a lame man get healed. In Acts chapter 4, they're praying together after being persecuted and they're worshiping and God shows up and shakes the place. In Acts chapter 12, they're praying together because James has been beheaded and now Peter has been taken. And the, the, the church is gathered together praying with one accord. And then in Acts chapter 20, the first day of the week, they gather to break bread and they gather to hear the word of God preach. And Paul preaches until midnight. And, and listen, all I'm just saying is the church gathered together. But here it's a little bit beyond that. This is an agreement together that we're going to work on this house. Hey, can I say something to you this morning? Listen, as a husband and as a wife, you know, things may be in the condition they're in, but you need to come to an agreement. We're going to work on this thing together. 
You may have a child that's wayward or maybe having difficulties. You know what you need to do? You need to have an agreement that, hey, we're going to work on this together. You need to get together with God and say, God, I've got a problem with my heart. I'm full of bitterness and it really hurts me. And you need, hey, you need to make an agreement with God. God, could you help my heart? If God can turn Cyrus's heart, he can turn your heart. God, I'm having problems with my mind. I'm tormented by the thoughts of my mind. And, and God, you're going to have to come to an agreement and say, hey, I need some help. You might have to come to an agreement with some of your creditors. Instead of letting bills get late and go by, hey, what can we do to address this? I remember when I was here in Bible college, Dr. Seitler said this, and I think it's great truth. He said, you may not be able to pay your bill, but you ought to go to that man and you ought to pay them at least something and tell you I'll be back next month and I'll pay on it again. Even, I remember him saying this, even if it was just a dollar, that's an agreement. I'm going to find a way to work out of this thing and coming together unified and got God God likes that. That is something the devil does not want to happen. And what you have in this passage is you have a group of people that have come together and their heart is, hey, we're going to rebuild. We have a mind to rebuild and we are going to do what God has put in this king's heart. We're here. We're available. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, the first step in rebuilding something is coming to an agreement and saying, I'm not going to keep doing this by myself or letting it slide by myself. I'm going to do something about what's in front of me. And I'm so glad. Listen, I'm glad God's given us a great church of people that'd be glad to help you pray about something and come alongside. I'm glad of that. The second thing, second thing, look there in verse number two, then stood up Yeshua, the son of Josadak. He's the priest. He's the spiritual leader. And his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and he's the governor. He's the political side, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Second thing, an agreement, first of all, but second thing is an altar being built. You, they built an altar before they ever laid a foundation. In other words, the problem is we need to rebuild the house of God. We're going to rebuild the temple. But before they ever did that, they said, tell you what, before we ever start digging the footer, before we ever start pouring anything, we need to build an altar first. All right, listen to me this morning. There are so many things in life that really, when you get right down to it, the preeminence ought to be placed on building that altar and getting to God before you ever get to the other problems of life. I'm telling you, didn't you look in the Old Testament, when they built that tabernacle in the wilderness, the first thing that you came to was the brazen altar. When you come to the brazen altar, you've got to come to where that sacrifice is before you can ever move forward toward God. And what many times in our life, what we do is, well, I need to rebuild this or I need to get this. I can't tell you how many times somebody's told me, Preacher, when I get my finances straightened out, I'm going to come back to church. Preacher, when I get my family straightened out, I'm going to come back to church. That, that's the wrong order. You need to get to God and then bring everybody to church. That's where you need to get to first. Doesn't need to be second or third. You need to make a priority out of that. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to take and do that. Noah, the first thing he builds when he gets off the ark is an altar. An altar. 
When he built that altar, he did something that connected him to God. Abraham, throughout Abraham's testimony, Abraham is building altars. When he's told you're going to be a great nation, chapter 12, verse number 7, he builds an altar. And you can run that all the way through Genesis 22. When he builds an altar to sacrifice Isaac on, he has got an altar. He's got a connection to God. Hey, listen to me. You can get, oh my. I'm not against Dave Ramsey. I'm not against all these men that have help in finances. But until you get your heart in tune with God, all the things of the world are not going to help you. You've got to get to an altar. You say, when? I think you ought to get to an altar whenever you can. <laughs> now we, we call this an altar. An altar is a place where spiritual decisions are made. It's a place of fellowship with God. I, I think really that we ought to have a heart so tender toward God that if God calls you to an altar, you can get up out of your seat. You can just get there. You know, we had that when we had revival going on. We almost kind of script the invitation, don't we? It's at the end of the service, the organ plays, Brother Stephen sings, and then that's when we get to an altar. You know, I, I, I was in, uh, in a meeting in Maryville, Tennessee, and two services while the singing's going on one time, another time when some of the, just, just some testifying was going on, I watched some young people and other folks start coming to an altar and praying. I think that's a good thing. In fact, I would say this. I, I know some of you, there are folks that we have that are older, and, you know, it, it's hard to be able to bow down, and, and I understand that, and we're, I'm, not, I'm not directing this to you. But when you look in the Bible, do you understand that worship, one of the first things you'll ever find out about worship is there is a bowing down to God? When we look at worship, one of the things we think is, well, this is worship. I'm not against that. I'll say more about that later. I believe you ought to be able to praise the Lord. And I'm glad I'm in a church where you can praise the Lord. But there is a bowing down. There is a humbling of oneself. I mean, when you get up, if I was preaching right now and God touched your heart and he said, you need to get to the altar and you need to pray about that thing I've been dealing you with. If you were to come here in front of everybody and kneel down and just start talking to God, that would, that would definitely feel very uncomfortable. But I don't think it's out of order. In fact, I would say this. We have a God that deserves to be put at the highest place and you and I to be put at the lowest place. That's bowing down. You know what's amazing to me? We call this a worship service. And yet sometimes people go months and years and they never bow themselves before the God that's being worshipped. Do you know that would never happen in a mosque? In a mosque, you have to take off your shoes in the back and you bow your way forward. And they don't even have the true God. They're on their knees. When I was in South Korea, a, 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 a local pastor took me to a mosque. He said, would you like to go? I said, sure. And, he, and we got there. He said, well, you have to take your shoes off. I said, why well, do I have to take my shoes off? You're not holy enough to go in there. Okay. I took them off. I came in and I watched people as they bowed their way forward. I said, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to approach God. And as they do, uh, they're bowing as they approach. And then they're calling the names of God. Well, that bothered me. So I just went over in the corner of the mosque 
And while everybody else was there doing their thing, I just said, Lord, I just want you to know that you're the great high God. There's nobody like you. I praise, the, I praise you for the blood of Jesus Christ, and I praise you for the, for the Son of God. I'm, I thank you, Lord, that you got up on the third day. I thank you gave me victory. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And while they're bowing to a false God, I'm standing up, but I'm bowing my heart to the true God. How many, but it's not just, it's not just Islam that does that. But Buddhists do that. They bow to those statues. Hindus do that. They bow. When is the last time you bowed before the God of heaven? When's the last time that you put yourself in this position? At an altar. If the world would bow to false gods, should we not bow to the true God? We get excited about that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. I think every knee should bow on this side of glory. I'll go a little bit farther than that. These folks that are in this passage, they probably knew a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar or at least those, those things that went on. Nebuchadnezzar said, I, you're going to bow to my image. The entire people that I'm over, you're all going to bow. But three Hebrew boys said, no, we're not going to bow to you. We've got another God that we bow to. The Antichrist, do you understand when the Antichrist finally gets his hands around this world? And by the way, church, you, you're never going to have to experience that because we're not going through the tribulation. We, we, we are leaving this world at the rapture before the tribulation starts, before the time of Jacob's trouble begins. We're leaving. But when he gets here, he's going to make people not just take a mark. You're going to bow. That's what Satan wanted from Jesus. If thou wilt fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. And I'm just saying, church, if we really, if we want to rebuild some things, hey, hey, if we want to rebuild uh, some homes and rebuild some hearts and minds, we need to bow before the God of heaven because he's the one that has the power to get that job done. need to bow down before him at the altar. Then look at verse number five. Actually, verses 3 through 7 would go together, but I, I'll just point out verse 5. And afterward, offered they, uh, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and every one of them that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. And you see that throughout the passage in verse 6. You see them offering a burnt offerings. Verse 7, they gave money also to the masons and to the carpenters. And what I'm saying is, not only an agreement and an altar, but also the right kind of attitude. How many of you think the Bible is right when it says it's more blessed to give than receive? You know, a lot of times when we get to an altar, here's what we're doing. We come to an altar and we say, okay, God, give me something. I need something. You know, I think the right attitude is what they're doing here. We're going to build an altar. But here we're going to do, God, we're not going to ask you for something. We're going to ask you to see what we can give to you. We're going to give something to you instead of taking something from you. I, I, listen, I believe that God, God, God should have every part of my life. He shouldn't just have my pocketbook, but he should have my body, my soul, my mind, my heart. He ought to get whatever he wants. And all I'm saying is if you want to get things, hey, if you want things to go the right direction instead of asking for everything, maybe it'd be good to get involved in doing something for God. Because we always get things reversed. We get things backwards when we think the way men think. And what God says, if you'll give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you'll take and you'll give, if you'll honor, if you'll worship me and give, then I can give back to you. 
I heard story, and, and I always love to hear stories about faith promise and what people give and, and how God responds to that. And somebody gives something because God put it on their heart and he turns around and he gives that back. And, you know, if you don't ever give along the lines of that kind of giving and saying, God, I'm just going to give you whatever you want. I'm going to open up my wallet, whatever. Then you never get back those things. It happened again this, this past week when I was in, or whenever I was in Tennessee, I had a $100 bill. I broke it up into five 20s. I took those five 20s and I just gave all that money out. At the end of that service, I had two men come up to me, shake my hand, and put a $100 bill in my hand. Right. You say, does it work all the time? No. So I just need to give away 100 and I get back 200 <laughs> No. But I believe that God put it on my heart to give to the preacher's kids and to the preacher and his family. There you go. And God said, okay, you're going to do that. I'll tell you what I'll do for you. Here, how about having two more of those? Now, y'all not happy about it because you didn't get to put that money in your pocket. <laughs> I was more happy about the fact that God doubled what I gave when he asked me to do it. And what I'm saying is, if you've got problems with your mind and you've got problems with your heart and you got problems with your marriage. You got problems. Listen, you got financial problems. So I can hear people say right now, I, I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to. Well, if I were to give to the Lord that tenth, then I wouldn't have, I would have less money to deal with my problems. No, you might have less money, but you'd have more of God's heart, and He could help you a whole lot more than that tenth could. Right. Right. No, I just can't afford to give. You can't afford not to. Their attitude was, I'm going to give back to God. And in the middle of all that, while they're giving back to God, the Bible's very clear, look down at verse number eight. One other thing, number five, I'm just about finished. Verse number eight, the Bible says at the end of the verse, it says to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. You know, maybe you ought to underline that word work in verse number eight. Work. Work. We had a work day yesterday, and um, I don't know how many people we have in the church, but I can tell you we didn't have that many out on a work day, and we had people doing all kinds of work, but when I finished working yesterday, um, we were picking up logs and shoving trees and branches and yanking and pulling, and you know, when some people got to run a chainsaw, and, and uh, David, you'd appreciate they wouldn't let me run a chainsaw, didn't want me to run any of that, you know, I, at least I couldn't run. But, but we're pulling, picking up stuff. And you know what I found out at the end of an afternoon, only, only did about four hours. You know what I found out at the end of the afternoon? My body did not like work. <laughs> My back hurt. It still hurts this morning. Yeah. I got cuts on me. I don't even remember how they got there. You say, from doing what? Picking up, picking up big pieces of wood, throwing them in a truck. We, we had to fire Ken. Ken came out. He's out there, and he's grabbing stuff with those fingers that he plays that organ with. We're saying, Ken, quit doing that. We don't want them to get mashed. You won't be able to play the organ. It took work. You know, we live in a generation today, you push the button, and out it pops. Come on, that's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? You just give me the formula. Give me, give me, give me, you know, give, give me the equation. I'll put it in the equation. It's all good to go. I'm going to go pick up the book down at the local bookstore on how to get, how to make your finances right. All right, I read it. Where is it, God? All right, I'm going to go pick up the book on how you get your marriage back in order. Okay, God, I read the book. Where is it, God? 
It doesn't work that way. It takes work. If you're in debt, it takes work to get out of debt. It takes work. If you've had a heart that's been bitter and been twisted really for a long time, it takes a while to learn how to be loving and be kind to other people. If you've got a mind that's dealt with problems for a long time, sometimes it takes a while for you to be able to start thinking right things, just things, honest things, good things, lovely. It takes time. And all I'm saying is this, that they, they put themselves to work. Look at the next verse. Verse number 9 the Bible says that they set forward the workmen in the house of God. They're working. They're working. Verse 10, and when the builders laid the foundation, I had one of our men yesterday ask me, he said, preacher, when you were in the military and you had to dig one of those fighting positions, did you dig it with a, what did you dig it with? I said, we, did, we dug it with an E-tool. How many of you know what an E-tool is? I'm curious. Look, Brother Dave just about stood up in his seat. An E-tool is a foldable shovel that the military used to use. I have no idea what they do now. A foldable shovel fits in this little pouch. You pull it out, and you're supposed to dig a fighting position that you can stand up in that has grenade sumps on either side that also another man can fit in that you can put limiting stakes on. How many of you think it would take a long time to dig something like that with a foldable shovel? Sometimes you might as well go get you a talk a toy, talk a toy truck and just start scooping that through there because it's hard to do that. And then I told myself when I got in my unit, we quit digging with a shovel. We started with a backhoe. These people are working. They're, they're laying a foundation. There's sweat going on. And if you're going to see things turned around, it's not all just God. You've got to be engaged in that. But notice this, and, and this is part of worship as well. Look, the Bible says, they're working. Verse number 10, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. Look at verse 11. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. There are people that are singing. There are people that are praising. There are people that are thinking. There are people that are shouting. I think that's part of worship as well. But notice what they're shouting over. They're shouting over a foundation. When's the last time you pulled up on a work job, work site, and there's a bunch of people standing over in the corner saying, Whoa! Got the foundation poured. Woo! Got it laid off. No, people, don't, people do not have a ribbon cutting for the, for the foundation being finished. They cut the ribbon when the house is finished. They cut the ribbon when the building is finished. They give the big key to somebody when it's all finished. But these people right here, they just saw God's hand in it already. So they're singing, they're praising, they're thanking, and they're shouting. And listen, I'm going to just say something to us. I'll, listen, we, we ought to get busy and we ought, listen, we ought, we ought to be engaged in trying to rebuild something, a house, a mind, a home, a heart. But while we're doing that, we don't need to miss out. Look right there, underline it in your verse, because he is good. They weren't shouting over the foundation. They were shouting over the goodness of God. They weren't singing over all the things they had in their pocket. They were singing over the mercy and goodness of God. Hey, hey, listen, if you still hadn't got out of debt, you can still sing about the goodness of God. Amen. You can still put praise toward him Amen. while you're trying to rebuild. Now, you know, 
I wish that I could stop the chapter right there because I really believe there are people that need to rebuild a home, a marriage, a mind, a heart. I think they need to rebuild and get past a brokenness that sin has caused. And I believe that if you'll start in agreement and go to that altar and have the right attitude and actions, I think that's all in order. But I want you to look. It doesn't end. Chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. This is where I'll finish today. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of, Israel, that the, children of the captivity builded the temple of the Lord God of Israel, then they came. Do you see that in your Bible? So when they got in agreement and they built an altar and they started taking right actions with the right attitude, the adversary heard and said, hey, it's time for us to go get in the middle of all that. You say, why would they do that? Look at the end of the chapter. Then cease the work of the house of God. That's what the devil wants to do. Some of you guys have started out and I've watched you. I, I'm amazed. By the way, if we have people that are growing in the Lord and growing in grace, shouldn't we be rejoicing about that? I'm, I'm glad we see people saved, but I'm glad we also see people grow and see marriages grow and see lives grow. But you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to stop it. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get past this thing about my bitterness. Or I'm going to get past this thing about my mind, the depression there. I'm going to get past this vice that I've picked up that I, I don't know how to stop. I'm going to, God, I'm going to work on it. I, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to have the right attitude, and I'm going to give to you. And Satan says, okay, I'm going to see how long I can keep that from going forward. I'm just going to step right in, and I'm going to see if I can't oppose it. We have an adversary. You have an adversary. You start trying to do things right, he's going to show his head. But you know what I'm glad of? I'm glad of that in this book, when I read in the book of Ezra, the adversary didn't have more power than God had. God was able to help them build that temple. And they worshiped in it. Because God has more power than your adversary. So, Brother Stevens, if you'll come and Brother Ken, if you stand to your feet, does anybody, anybody need some help in rebuilding something today? A mind, a heart? Anybody need some help today from God and saying, Lord, I, I just, I'm going to just come today and I'm just going to, what can I give to you to help in this situation? I'm going to give something to you. A life of, that's been touched by sin that perhaps nobody knows about, a chain that's wrapped itself around your life and there's no joy, there's no, there's no shouting, no praising, no, no singing. Problems that have arisen in the home, whether it's with a child or with one another. God, would you help us rebuild 70 years, 70 years in ruin. And yet God says, I'm going, I want you to rebuild this. Won't you come as these that have gathered? Brother Stevens, if you want to sing a little bit, that'll be fine. And may God help us today.
In times like these, you need the Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. While we still have some people that are at the altar, God reminded me of a verse that I didn't say anything about. The Bible says that they, they, they did as the duty of every day required. That's just doing the same thing every day. Every day. That's why the Christian life is called a walk, walking with God every day. Sometimes you have defeat. Sometimes you go backwards. And then sometimes you get to go forward. But it's every day. And sometimes it's not exciting. But listen, I'm just telling you, God's going to bring us out where we need to be. And uh, I've got confidence in that. Well, how many of y'all are saved on your way to heaven? What if I ask you if you're enjoying the trip? Yeah. Dear friend of mine, somebody say, how you doing? He said, I'm saved on my way to heaven and enjoying the trip. I think you enjoy the trip when God's building something in your life. So many people are stuck in the past. I didn't even preach about that. Weeping. There were people weeping over what used to be instead of what was being done. And then there were people shouting over what was being done. You know, most of those people were probably born in Babylon. They weren't born in Judah. But the bottom line is when God's doing something, I think we ought to be rejoicing together. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we'll see you tonight, 515 for prayer, 445 for choir practice. And um, God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Amen. <clears throat>